hospitals overflowing in China. Video showing patients outside the emergency room, in hallways, stair landings, and even outside restrooms. Corpses on the ground, long service wait times, and obscuring cause of death. A father sharing what he saw inside a Chinese crematory. China's COVID-19 death toll coming under scrutiny. One doctor's account may shed light on why. An energy shortage hitting China amid freezing winter temperatures. Gas and heating suspended from at times. And a Chinese state-owned company striking a deal with the Taliban to extract oil from an Afghan field. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. China is facing a host of issues. The most concerning one, COVID-19. Infection numbers continue to rise, and hospitals in Shanghai and other cities are overflowing with patients. Here's more. Beds line the corridors of the emergency treatment area and main lobby on Thursday. Most of them elderly and several were breathing with oxygen tanks. A notice advised patients that they would have to wait an average of five hours to be seen. This has become a common scene across China. With emergency wards filled to the brink and patients lining up for hours to get treatment, China had defended its COVID handling measures and said the country's epidemic situation is controllable. However, videos from China tell a different story. The collapse of the medical system, pharmacies out of stock, funeral homes overflowing. The Chinese regime now defines COVID deaths as death by pneumonia and respiratory failure for patients who had the virus. The World Health Organization criticized the regime for underrepresenting the severity of its outbreak and said the definition was too narrow. Disease experts outside China say its approach misses other widely recognized types of fatal COVID complications, from blood clots to heart attacks, sepsis and kidney failure. An epidemiologist with the University of Hong Kong says at least one million COVID-related deaths in China this winter is quite possible. Xi Wenrong reporting, NTD News. A video clip posted on Chinese social media highlighting just how crowded Beijing hospitals are. Inside one of them, overcrowding extends far beyond the emergency room. In corridors, patients can be seen lying next to heaters or at the base of stair landings with their relatives alongside them. The hallway to the elevator also blocked with patients. The problem extends to just outside the restrooms. The overcrowding is so severe that some of them don't have beds. Instead, they lie on the ground while waiting for treatment. Chinese authorities are expecting a major travel boom. On Friday, they said they are anticipating 2.1 billion total passenger trips to be made during the Lunar New Year holiday, with travelers across China moving by road, rail, water and flight. If that prediction proves true, it means double the trips made during the same time last year, which total 1.05 billion. China's Vice Minister of Transportation, Xu Chengguan, noted this year's Lunar New Year travel rush will start on January 7th and end on February 15th, a total of 40 days. Compared with previous years, this year's Lunar New Year travel rush will be the most uncertain, complex and challenging one in recent years, as the peak of passenger flow and the peak of the pandemic overlap. 
Daily passenger flights scheduled for the season are averaging about 11,000. That's around three-quarters of pre-COVID-19 travel levels in 2019. A report from inside a crematory in China. Bodies stored on the ground. Long death records of young people. Staffers obscuring cause of death for COVID-19 patients. NTD spoke to a father in China about what he saw when he sent his son's body for cremation. A father in China grieving the loss of his 27-year-old son to the virus. At first, he didn't have any symptoms. He didn't have a fever or a headache. But when he passed away, he felt like as if his throat had been cut by a knife. He was also breathing heavily. I didn't expect it to be so bad. Maybe he could have survived had we sent him to the hospital earlier. Li Bin is a resident from China's Anhui province. It took the virus five days to claim his son's life. When Li sent his son's body to the local crematory, he was shocked by what he saw. My God, the crematory was overloaded to the point of laying bodies on the ground. A staffer there told me, look at this smoke billowing out of our crematory's chimneys. The local crematories can process 80 bodies per day. But Li said many residents can get services for their loved ones even after waiting over a week. Li also saw some obituaries of the dead when he went to pay for his son's service. Quite a lot of the dead that crematory processed were between 30 to 50 years old. The youngest was 16, who also died of the virus. I saw this information on the staffer's computer. The death certificate issued by the hospital said his son died of COVID-19 infection. But after I went to the crematory, a high-level staffer there told me the hospital was really daring to list the cause of death as COVID-19. The staffer said authorities have requested that all local crematories and hospitals avoid listing COVID-19 as the cause of death. You can write lung infections or respiratory tract infections or whatever, but no hospital dares to put COVID-19 as the cause of death. The local police station gave Lee similar accounts. Now, Li is urging people to stay aware of the danger of the virus as it sweeps through China. He adds that it's not just the elderly at risk, but younger people as well. The way China calculates its COVID-19 death toll is coming under scrutiny. Beijing has kept its virus death toll at a little over 5,000. That's as funeral homes across China reportedly overflow amid a massive surge in infections. Some reports may shed light on why. A doctor working at a Beijing hospital said he found a note on his desk. The note asked medical staff to avoid listing COVID-19 as the primary cause of death for patients. That's according to a report from the New York Times. Screenshots of similar warnings are circulating on Chinese social media. In one of them, a group chat conversation also asks doctors not to list the virus as patients' cause of death. Beijing has narrowed the way it counts COVID-19 deaths. In the West, all patients who died after being infected with COVID-19 are included in the virus death toll. But in China, only those who died of respiratory failure caused by COVID-19 count as virus-related deaths. COVID-19 patients who died of pre-existing conditions or other chronic illnesses don't count, even if the infection may have worsened those conditions. Next, we'd like to take a minute to answer a question from our viewers about the so-called white lung phenomenon in China. We covered the story on Wednesday. White lung refers to how some COVID-19 patients' lungs turn partially white on CT scans. 
The white appearance indicates fluid and infection in the lungs. Healthy lungs should appear black on CT scans. Subviewers commented that it's a common phenomenon with lung infections and is nothing special. But there are a few differences worth noting about the current issue in China. First, let's look back on 2020, when the CCP virus, which causes COVID-19, first started spreading widely in China's Wuhan city. Many patients started turning up with white lung. Soon, it was discovered that common pneumonia or lung infections were not the cause. Instead, it was a new kind of pneumonia that existing medicine struggled to treat. The new disease caused massive deaths in the city. As the COVID-19 virus developed outside China the past three years, it's been getting less lethal. Unlike earlier variants, the latest strain known as Omicron rarely attacks the lungs. But now, doctors across China have been reporting the white lung phenomenon again, sometimes in as much as 20% of their patients. Some have reportedly died. At the same time, funeral homes across the country are overcrowded. These issues do not line up with the experiences other countries have had with Omicron. For now, the cause remains unclear as concerns rise and nations request answers from Beijing. The Chinese Communist Party has a history of concealing or underreporting health data. Starting Sunday, virus hit China will no longer enforce border controls. 1.4 billion people ready to usher in a long-awaited return to international travel. But travel curbs are racking up worldwide ahead of the reopening. At least 18 countries have introduced restrictions on arriving Chinese travelers. That's including Greece, Germany and Sweden as of Thursday. We continue to ask China for more rapid... Those decisions came after the World Health Organization said China's official virus data was under-reporting its outbreak and as concerns grow about the threat of new variants. But Chinese officials and state media have struck a defiant tone, defending China's handling of the outbreak, playing down the severity of the surge and denouncing foreign travel requirements. We also propose a discussion on the need for pre-testing. Following the European Union's suggestion of pre-departure testing for Chinese passengers, China's foreign ministry warned a possible reciprocation on Friday, saying the European Union should be objective and fair. Also in Europe, the Chinese embassy in Paris criticized French media reports about the COVID-19 outbreak in China listing five examples of what they called nonsense. Those statements are China's epidemic is out of control, Chinese vaccines are ineffective, the zero COVID-19 policy has failed, China's COVID-19 data is distorted, and China imprisons people for three years, referring to lockdown measures. But some China-based internet users are disagreeing with the embassy commenting that the five so-called nonsense statements from French media are actually honest and objective. An energy shortage is hitting northern China hard this winter. Earlier this week, one of China's northernmost cities garnered public attention. A heating company in Hugan City issued a notice saying it would stop providing heating services on Thursday, citing high coal prices. The company said it suffered a loss of $1.1 million last year and that local authorities didn't help with subsidies. The temperature in the region right now is as low as negative 15 degrees Fahrenheit. 
Local media reported that authorities have since intervened and that the company did not halt heating services. But another heating company in the same city did. One resident told local media that the company turned off heating multiple times in the last month, each time for three to five days, without informing residents beforehand. Over in northern China's Hebei province, household gas services in some cities were limited to daytime cooking hours last month, meaning stoves and other appliances could not be used during off hours. Likewise, heating systems in some homes that use gas were also shut off. Temperatures in the region can drop below freezing this time of year, with the lowest reaching 7 degrees Fahrenheit. The situation proves especially hard for households with elderly people or young children. Authorities responded to local complaints, explaining the gas company didn't purchase sufficient gas to offer full service. Next, an update on Afghanistan. The Middle Eastern country is set to sign a contract with a Chinese company. The deal will allow the company to extract oil from an Afghan field. The country's acting mining minister announced the decision Thursday. The Chinese company is based in the Xinjiang region, or eastern Turkestan as its native Uyghurs call it. It's a 25-year contract. Over the first three years, the Chinese company will invest $150 million a year into the project. That figure would then increase to $540 million a year. Afghanistan is currently controlled by the Taliban. The agreement is set to become the first major resource extraction deal the Taliban administration has signed with a foreign company since taking power in 2021. A separate Chinese state-owned company is also in talks with the Taliban over the operation of a copper mine. Electric vehicle maker Tesla cutting electric car prices in China. The Friday decrease marks the company's second price cut in the country in less than three months. This as the demand weakens in the world's largest auto market. U.S.-based Tesla also cut prices on its best-selling Model Y and Model 3 EVs in Japan, South Korea and Australia. The reduced price tags were part of an effort to help stoke demand especially for products coming from Tesla's Shanghai factory. That's according to a person with direct knowledge of the issue. The cut is also the first major move since Tesla appointed its lead executive for China and Asia, Tom Zhu, to oversee global business. Zhu is based in Shanghai. Tesla shares fell about 6% in pre-market trading after the price cuts. A U.S. warship sailed through the sensitive Taiwan Strait on Thursday. The U.S. military has referred to it as routine activity in the area. Here's a closer look at reactions to its journey. The move has angered China, though, which claims autonomy in the region, despite objections from Taiwan's democratically elected government. The U.S. military issued a statement saying its guided missile destroyers transit through the Taiwan Strait demonstrates the United States' commitment to a free and open Indo-Pacific. The narrow Taiwan Strait has been a frequent source of military tension since communists took power in mainland China in 1949. While other nations step up testing for Chinese tourists, countries in Southeast Asia are saying no to new requirements. The region is pinning its hopes on the return of Chinese tourists and their big bucks to boost the economy. Here are the details. 
China is set to reopen its borders this coming Sunday. Thailand is expecting at least 5 million Chinese tourist arrivals this year. That's almost half the number before the pandemic. I'm also afraid of COVID-19, but I still want to work. I'm scared of both COVID-19 and starving, so I still want the Chinese travelers to come. I want to have customers. Indonesia is another beneficiary. Businesses in Bali said they were gearing up to welcome back Chinese tourists, despite concerns over the outbreak in China. Of course, we are concerned about the COVID-19 resurgence in China because it is quite a harmful virus. But as for management and I, we think that the government will make the best choice, such as screenings, etc., to keep the Indonesian people safe from the virus. Bali tourism officials say the island will beef up its defenses, with workers taking a second booster vaccine this month. China is one of the largest sources of tourists to Indonesia. About 2 million Chinese tourists visited the country in 2019, accounting for around 13 percent of all tourists' arrivals. Aside from Thailand and Indonesia, Cambodia and Singapore also won't test inbound Chinese travelers for COVID-19. Coming up, nuclear weapons on the Korean Peninsula. North Korea is a very useful tool for China in terms of keeping its adversaries, its self-declared adversaries, the Americans, the Japanese, etc., occupied, focused on North Korea instead of looking at things like Taiwan. Will China help the U.S. stop North Korea's provocation? We spoke to Grant Newsham, senior fellow of the Center for Security Policy, for more on that after the break, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. North Korea is stepping up its provocation against the West. We spoke to Grant Newsham, retired Marine colonel and senior fellow at the Center for Security Policy, to get his take on North Korea's nuke expansion, plus a closer look at talks between South Korea and the U.S. about joint nuclear drills. Grant, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show. Oh, glad to be here. Thank you. So it seems right now there's a lot of aggression around China from multiple parties. So let's begin with the new year. North Korea is set to exponentially expand their nuclear arsenal. And that seems to be putting South Korea on high alert. South Korea is in talks with the U.S. for joint nuclear exercises. What do you make of all this? Well, it's to be expected. Uh, it's what we've seen coming from North Korea for a few decades now, and it really is no surprise. It's this upward trend line where the North Koreans are keen to get uh, nuclear we more nuclear weapons. They've already got them, uh, really to get a, a whole bunch of them and to have the missile delivery systems to be able to shoot them where they want them and hit what they want. Uh, and But what you're, you're seeing is, is very interesting, is really unrestrained activity, provocation from North Korea. It's almost as if somebody has given them the go-ahead to uh, scare people, uh, scare the South Koreans, uh, the, the Japanese, and, and the Americans. It's a way to keep uh, the, all those people occupied. Everyone's focused on North Korea. Uh, and meanwhile, China is uh, doing all sorts of things throughout the region. But that's the thing to remember. It's not like North Korea thinks this up on their own. They probably would. Uh, but North Korea is a creature of China, the Chinese communists. Uh, could not survive more than a few days without 
uh, the oil, food, electricity, the trade with China. It just wouldn't survive. Uh, and you look at uh, China's, uh, what they have done to build up North Korea's arsenal. Uh, North Korea would not have nuclear weapons without Chinese help. Uh, wouldn't have the missiles it has with ch without Chinese help. And that's always something to remember. Uh, say, for example, when you see on the videos, you'll see these North Korean missiles being rolled out on this uh, this uh, tractor that has many wheels. And but the tractor comes from China. Uh, and you look at the people who really know this stuff. They look at the the weaponry and say, oh, yeah, China, China, China. Uh, to keep in mind, North Korea is a very useful tool for China in terms of keeping its uh, adversaries, its self-declared self adversaries, uh, the Americans, the Japanese, etc., occupied, focused on North Korea instead of looking at things like Taiwan. And then there's also this belief uh, in the American foreign policy class that we have to have China's help to solve the North Korea problem. And you think about that. Now, China has created the North Korea problem. It's glad to have it like it is. And the Americans, and who are the victims of all of this, the target of it all, one of the main targets, they think, well, we have to have China's help to solve the North Korea problem. There's a sense, well, someday, you know, North Korea is going to wake up and say, man, what were we thinking? Uh, or China's going to stop it. Well, that just isn't going to happen. If you watch this for 20, 30 years, it has been a steady trend uh, into towards increasing uh, military capabilities of North Korea. So, and the military capabilities, and it's really just an engineering problem for the North Koreans to figure out uh, the, the weapons, the missiles, the nuclear uh, bombs. And that they're smart. They're, they are smart, and they have access to good uh, technology. That thank you, China. Thank you, Iran. Russia has helped as well. Pakistan too. Grant, when you say we have to look at who's maybe behind it or helping, if that is the Chinese regime, what are they gaining? I think you touched on this a little, but what is really the end goal here? Well, it's an Asia that's dominated by China. Uh, it's psychologically dominated, politically dominated, economically dominated, militarily uh, dominated as well. Um, if you are going to apply pressure on Taiwan, if you're going to attack Taiwan, well, it's the Americans who are the ones you really have to worry about stepping in, maybe the Japanese somewhat. But if you have the North Koreans uh, causing trouble, well, U.S. forces are going to have to pay a lot of attention to that. And that's those are resources, attention. Uh, weaponry that cannot be applied to Taiwan uh, in that case. And then you've all throw in the Russians here as well. They'll be glad to help out the Chinese. They just have to make a few moves up there. And that too is another distraction. So imagine you've got this end this scary guy who's coming at you. And then off to your right, you've got these two other scary guys who are doing things. You can't focus uh, on the one guy that you really need to focus on. Speaking of the resources, say the South Koreans and the U.S. are in talks about these joint nuclear exercises, but what exactly is in a nuclear exercise? What are they practicing? It's <laughs> a good question. You don't exactly shoot off an, a nuclear weapon you know, somewhere and see what happens. But what you can practice are the sort of the, the command and control. You know, if there's an incident, what processes do you go through uh, to make your decisions as to how to respond 
you know, how to, what weapons do you use? How are you going to employ them that's going to require, for example, South Korean cooperation? Uh, maybe even a degree of approval as well. Could be a South Korean request for help. How does America actually respond to that? You don't want it to be the first time you've actually thought about the thing uh, when the, uh, the event actually happens. For example, say you're going to deliver it by air. Uh, well, you want to make sure that you have the ability to call up the right aircraft, get them loaded, get them where they need to go, have the right support to get them in, uh, and then um, do what's necessary. Uh, but also something else that's going on here is the within South Korea, there are people who have some doubts about the U.S. commitment to defending South Korea. And we may say, well, that's, you know, those are ill-founded. Of course, we'll defend South Korea. But, well, it's they're the ones who... Make the you know they'll make up their own minds, and there is some doubt about whether the U.S. will in fact uh, defend South Korea to the point of using nuclear weapons. And if the Americans aren't willing or perceived as willing to do it, well, there are South Koreans who say maybe we should have our own nuclear weapons so we don't have to beg the Americans uh, when the time comes. Uh, even in Japan, there's a sort of there's a quiet sort of slice of the. Uh, establishment that is has similar concerns that, well, maybe the Americans won't use, you know, won't defend us with their nuclear weapons, thus maybe we need our own. And nobody likes to talk about this, uh, but it's there. That's all for today's China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.